starting to have some guests again. That's exciting, right? My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I'm so glad that you're right here. If you're a guest, we're so glad that you braved the heat, braved the social distancing to come here. We're so glad that you're here. If you are new, would you please text the word new to the number on the screen? Okay, if you can see it, I think it's 720-something-something-something, right? Okay, yeah, text that. That's the number we can kind of text with you back and forth with. Text that word new so we can get to know you a little bit and connect with you. We would love that. Um, and I'm glad we're here. I know this is a hot day. My, my watch is telling me it's already 84 degrees. That's good, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> hot. You know, this reminded me of a time that I was in Bolivia. You know, Kent and Aaron Chan right down here, they're going to be going down to Bolivia um, hopefully sometime soon uh, as we support them to be missionaries down there. They're raising support right now. Um, but I was down in Bolivia back in 2013, I want to say, maybe 2014. And we went into the Amazon Basin, right? So it's hot there all year round, right? And while we were there, we went to visit this church. Sixty people go to this church, and they had set up just a tin roof in the backyard of somebody's house. This was church. Sixty people were going to this church. Just a tin roof, okay? So the heat, I mean, what we have right here is nicer than what they had. And when we were there, it just happened to have a flash rain. You know, it rains a lot in the rainforest. Okay, and it rained, and you couldn't hear anything because you're under a tin roof, right? Super loud, super hot, super wet, right? And I think the coolest thing about this church was that they were already planting another church. And we're like, what? You know? <laughs> I mean, we have such an American mindset, don't we? I'm saying that because this is hard, this is hot, but it could be much worse, right? We should thank God that we have this backyard and these pop-up tents and friends around us. So I'm glad that we can be here today. I'm glad that some of you are home watching online, joining us. We had issues with our stream last week, but I'm glad that you're joining us today. Um, you can text that number as well if you're new. Um, also, I just wanted to remind you guys that today is the last day we are accepting uh, submissions for new name ideas. Of course, because the name of our neighborhood is changing, we're changing our name as well to, to make sure that we, everyone in our community and the neighbors around us know that we are a place that accepts everyone. So if you have suggestions for our new name, please submit those at staplesandchurch.com slash name change. Do that by the end of the day. And then we're going to move ahead with changing whatever our name is because we are the church formerly known as Stapleton Church, right? Uh, just like the artist formerly known as Prince. Um, I'm glad that you're here. We are going to continue our series called No Ordinary People today. And we're going to be in the second week in that series. If you missed week number one, I encourage you to go back and watch that or to listen to it at slash media on your podcast app. You can listen to the audio on YouTube. You can find the, the video. And we encourage you to subscribe to those to make sure that you get those every week. Catch up on that because we talked about a foundational concept that we're going to kind of build throughout the whole series that we're doing through this month, July, this four-week series. Um, because today we are going to look at how Jonah teaches us an incredibly important lesson for today. Now some of you might be interested in that or find it strange that I picked Jonah for our message today. Because you might have a memory like me from back when you were a little kid, and I remember I must have been in preschool, and this uh, church that we went to was an old congregational church. There was wood everywhere, you know, those churches, wood walls, wood pews, wood, everything was wood. And we were in there, and even though it was super old-fashioned, huge pipe organ, super loud, way louder than any rock concert, right? You know, if you've ever been to one of those churches, pipe organ. Um, but they would do a musical every year for all the kids, and it was a ton of kids would come in and do the musical, and I remember vividly the Jonah musical. It was like a whale of a tail. 
Right? And I remember because all the kids, we would, we would sit in the form of a whale. I think we all had like blue pieces of paper that we held up or something, and there was an eyeball. So we were the whale, right, or the big giant fish, and then Jonah got in the middle of it, in the middle of the musical. I don't remember any of the words or any of the songs, but I remember thinking of Jonah as a very childish story. You know what I'm talking about? A whale of a tale. And I think we often have that story because it involves a giant fish. It's kind of exciting, fun for kids. Whenever there's animals involved, kids like those stories, right? So Jonah was a childish story. It was a whale of a tale. It was a fish tale, right? A fish story that you told, oh my gosh, it seems so extravagant. Yes, it's a crazy miracle that happens in the story. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, the reluctant prophet gets thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and gets brought back to life to go. Not really back to life, uh, but back on the shore, given a second chance at life, to go and preach to Nineveh. And I remember it seemed to have a very childish theme to it. And that's all I thought it was for so many years. But as I began to look at Jonah and study it and learn about it, as we're going to dive into today, I saw that it actually is a very a mature book. It's actually some great literature. It's not just for kids. It's a story that we as adults should learn from. And it's so important, I think, for today. And I think the reason why it's so important centers on the reason for Jonah's reluctance. The reason for Jonah's reluctance. That's often just kind of swept aside as if it doesn't matter. But I think it's the key to understanding the entire story of Jonah. And it's going to be so important for us today. So what we're going to do is dig into why Jonah was the reluctant prophet. Why Jonah was a reluctant prophet. And it, in turn, will give us what I think is our big idea today, that we can apply to our hearts, to our lives, to the way we interact with the people around us that's going to be so important. So we're going to go through the entire book of Jonah today, four chapters. We're going to move quick. We're not going to read every verse, but every verse is important, so we encourage you to read that on your own. And what we're going to do today is start in Jonah 1, verse one. So if you have that, read that along with me. If you're watching online, you can find those links uh, at, on the Bible app. Same thing with you guys here. You can either have your physical Bible, the new version. I think we also have it on the screen. Hopefully you guys can see that as well. In Jonah 1, verse 1, we read, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So here, right at the beginning, we're introduced to a prophet. This language that the word of the Lord came to someone was the language of the prophets, the spokespersons for God. And Jonah, the son of Amittai, is given this word from the God. Okay, go to Nineveh and tell them they're all going to hell. That's what it says, right? They're all sinners, they're all going to burn. Go tell them, Jonah. Uh, and this is interesting. Uh, a couple things I want to point out just from this first verse is that it refers to him as Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, a lot of people think that this is very childish, but Jonah is referred to in another place in the Bible. In 2 Kings, he's actually referred to as a prophet, and we're told when he lived. We're told that he lived in the first half of the 8th century B.C. You remember those days? No, we have no idea, right? But it was in the first half of the 8th century B.C. It was uh, under the reign of King Jeroboam II, and that's the time that Jonah came. We're also told where he lived in that verse in 2 Kings. It was a small town in the north of Israel, in a region that we might know of as Galilee. He was from a small town that was probably a neighboring town to another small town we know of as Nazareth. Interesting, right? might have heard of those things if you've read the Bible. 
or been to church on Christmas, right? Okay, so here is Jonah from the north Israel in the region of Galilee. He is living in the time uh, of this king, Jeroboam, and he is told to go to Nineveh. Well, why Nineveh? Because at the time in this first half of the 8th century B.C., there was a huge empire that was ruling over most of the Middle East. It was an empire called Assyria, the Assyrians. And Nineveh was one of their major cities, probably their biggest city, one of their main metropolises, right? It was in what is modern-day Iraq. And actually, if you've been following the news, sometimes, uh, you know, when ISIS was uh, kind of in their reign of terror, they attacked uh, some cities there in northern Iraq. And they would often refer in the news stories to the ancient city of Nineveh. It's where a lot of the destruction was happening with ISIS and ancient relics. So it was there, this uh, ancient um, nation, the, the, Isra- the Iraqi, ancient Iraqis, the Assyrians, they had taken over um, what's modern-day Iran, most of that, all of modern-day Syria. They had even started to come into northern Israel, and there's been fights and skirmishes. And it was during this time that God tells Jonah, go tell them they're all going to burn. Right? So that's where we pick up the story. But Jonah, unlike the other prophets who are told to, to do things like this, Ezekiel especially, he's like, go tell them they're going to hate you, but you've got to go tell them they're going to burn anyways. But in verse 3, Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh, does he? We read, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went out to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. In case you didn't pick up on this, this, this prophet who is named a prophet. I mean, a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament were named, but he's named in the histories of Israel. This great prophet, and he's told by God explicitly to go somewhere, and he doesn't. He runs away. He's reluctant to do what God told him to do. Now, I, I said we're going to really focus on the idea of why Jonah was reluctant. The reason for Jonah's reluctance, because it's so important. Because as I've heard this over the years, I've heard it with an application often that's, that's maybe like God tells you to do some things that are really hard. And we're often reluctant to do the things God tells us to. I, I heard it uh, perhaps in the context of missionaries. Okay? We're talking about missionaries going to Bolivia, missionaries over in Estonia that, that we support. It's hard to go to another nation. Whether you've been on a short-term trip or, or been over there for a year, some, some of you have gone over there, or gone over to think about going full-time overseas to go to a people that you don't know, speak a language that you don't know how to speak, man, that's challenging, isn't it? So I've heard this, that maybe the, the, the first reason we can look at of why Jonah was reluctant was that it was a challenge to be a missionary. Maybe that's the reason why Jonah was reluctant. But I want you to look a little bit closer at verse 3. Because in verse 3, it says that Jonah went to Tarshish. I say this because I have a couple maps on the screen. And in the first map, you'll see where um, Israel is, where the small town of Joppa is, um, the, the port city where he went to in order to go to Tarshish. But then you'll also see up in the northeast, um, which is modern-day Iraq, where the town of Nineveh is. Do you see that? So this was some 600 miles as the crow flies. It probably would have taken a few months to travel to Nineveh from Israel. So this is a major journey. It would be going to a, a nation that you don't know, people you don't know, speak a language you don't know. This would be challenging, right? But I don't think that's the reason why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. Because he went on an even crazier trip. Look at this next map. 
Instead of going to Nineveh, which was 600 miles as the crow flies, he decided to go west to a port city in which probably modern-day Spain called Tarshish, which was over 2,000 miles away. And we're told in the days of Solomon that a round trip from Israel to Tarshish and back would take three years. They spoke a different language, a different culture, a different people. So why, if Jonah doesn't want to go on a missionary journey, why would he go on a missionary journey somewhere else in the opposite direction? So I think we can rule that out. Okay? It wasn't that he didn't want to be a missionary. So what could be some other reasons why Jonah didn't want to go? Well, I told you that the Assyrians had probably already attacked northern Israel. This was probably a time of relative peace, but yet the Assyrians were known as a pretty violent brood. Um, they, they like to kill people, destroy them, and all, all that jazz. So it could be that Jonah is afraid. I've heard this preached too. Sometimes we have, uh, we're afraid of what God is calling us to do, and the fear that we have in our life leads us to be reluctant. Man, that'll preach. I've heard it preached. Maybe Jonah was afraid of what might happen to him, afraid for his life. And when we're afraid for our life, we're not going to do what God calls us to, right? We could apply that to ourselves as well. And yet, for some reason, I don't think that's the reason for Jonah's reluctance either. So let, let's keep looking at this story, because when Jonah gets on this ship to go to Tarshish, um, there arises a major storm on the Mediterranean Sea where they're at, right? A crazy storm. And Jonah is sleeping in the, in the belly of the ship, right? He's just zonked out. Everybody's freaking out. All these seasoned sailors, these guys who have traveled the Mediterranean, are freaking out. They're crying out to all of their different gods because they, you know, they don't know who to worship. They figure because there's such a terrible storm, somebody must have done something to tick off one of these gods. We've got to do something. Pray. We've got to offer sacrifice. We do whatever we can. They're throwing everything overboard on the ship because they're thinking, oh, we're going to capsize. We're going to drown. We're all going to die. And Jonah's still sleeping. The captain runs down, picks up Jonah and says, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? And he's like, oh, sorry about that. And they say, Jonah, you call on your God too. Somebody's got to help us, right? We need help. They, they still can't figure out what's going on, so they decide to cast lots. This was the ancient way. You know, they're, they're, they're playing with dice, right? We've got to figure out who it is that ticked off one of the gods. Well, when they roll these dice, it lands on Jonah. Jonah was the one. He must have done something. So they confront him. Who are you? Where are you from? What did you do? He tells him his story. He says, yep, it was me. It was me. I, I have been reluctant. I have been disobedient to what God told me to do. And then they say, well, what should we do? What should we do? And in verse 12, Jonah tells them what they should do. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. You know, as I read this for so often, I thought, well, Jonah, he's in the Bible. He's a character. He must be a good guy. So he's probably saying, I will sacrifice myself because I have gotten us into this mess. I'm going to be the brave soul. You throw me overboard and everything will be okay. He, he's the brave guy, right? But as you read through the rest of the story, we're going to see it a couple different times. I don't think that's the case. Why? Because Jonah could have just said, turn around and let's go to Nineveh and everybody's going to be safe. Why don't I just do what God told me to do? Instead, he says, I would rather die. Throw me overboard. Think about that. I do not think the reason why Jonah was reluctant to do what God told him to do was because of fear. Because here he says, yeah, just kill me. I'll just, I'd, I'd rather die than do what God told me to do. So his reluctance, it seems, has nothing to do with fear. If he's willing to go to the bottom of the ocean and die in order to save these strangers who worship false gods. 
What is going on? So if the reason for Jonah's reluctance isn't that he didn't want to be a missionary, (laughs) if the reason for his reluctance isn't that he was afraid, what is it? What is it? I I think we we often think that, that maybe it has something to do with his own pride, because we as human beings, when God tells us to do something, and if we don't want to do it, we can't want self-control, right? I should be in charge of my own life. I should do things the way I want to do them. And if Jonah's thinking, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't know these people. I don't care about these people. Why would I go preach to them? He's just saying, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Some of us have done that in our lives, right? God tells me to do this. I'm going the other way, right? Perhaps that's the reason for Jonah's reluctance, his desire to have you know, self-autonomy. Perhaps that's the reason. And I think that's getting us a little closer, but I don't think it's the complete picture. But but what happens next is the guys are finally, they cry out to God and they say, okay, we'll do it, but please don't hurt us, God. We know that you're the one true God. They throw Jonah overboard and immediately the sea is calm. And they actually convert. (laughs) They start worshiping the God of the Bible at that point. They offer sacrifices because they're like, wow, this guy kicked off that God and and this all happened. (laughs) Okay, we better do what he says, right? Which is an amazing little side note. But Jonah gets thrown into the ocean, sinking to the bottom, but God's not done with him. He sends a giant fish. Now we often say it's a whale. We don't know. It's just a giant fish. A giant fish swallows Jonah in the water, and there's Jonah for three days in the belly of this giant fish. And if you're thinking that sounds outlandish, of course it does. It's a miracle, right? The Bible's full of these stories that seem outlandish because they're once in all of human history happenings, right? So Jonah is there in the belly of the fish for three days, and finally, after three days, finally, three days in the belly of the fish, smelling, uh, I'm sure, what the, the, the ocean and all these fish guts that are in, the bo- in, in this fish's belly with him, he, he's like, okay, fine, and then he says a prayer. Now, we often focus on this prayer. If you study this and think, wow, this sounds very very um, religious. He he's, sounds great. It's like one of the Psalms of the Bible. He, he's praying, he's crying out to God and, and basically saying, yeah, I, I, I did something wrong and, and I should be doing what you're saying. At the very end of this prayer, you can read in verse um, 9, in the second half of verse 9, it says, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So at the end of this very um, religious prayer, it seems like he's very reverent. He says, okay, God, I'll do what you say. Took me almost drowning on the sea, took me almost dying in a fish and being there three days, but yes, I'll finally do what you said. So it, it does seem like we're getting a little closer, right? That, that he's a little reluctant because he wants to have control over his own life. And finally there at the bottom, at the, in the deeps, that, that he finally makes this decision to do what God told him to do. And some of us have done that in our own life. We get to our lowest, absolute lowest point, and finally when we're there, we're like, okay, God, maybe you're real, maybe I should do what you say because my life's not good. So is that the reason for Jonah's reluctance? I'd say generally yes, but I think we can get a lot more specific. We can get a lot more specific. Why is it that Jonah was reluctant to do what God told him to do, this specific thing? So then as a preacher, I I thought, well, maybe it's because he has to preach condemnation. Man, that's hard to do. I can tell you I love preaching. Talking about hell is not my favorite thing, I'll be honest. Telling people that if they don't believe in Jesus, they're, they're condemned. That's not fun to preach. You guys don't want to talk about it either, right? It's not the, the most popular uh, doctrine in the Christian faith. So maybe that's the reason for Jonah's reluctance. But so, so now he gets vomited. It says he gets vomited out of the fish. 
spit up on the, on the land. Even the fish couldn't stand this guy, Jonah, right? He gets vomited onto land. And there Jonah finally decides, okay, I'm going to go to Nineveh. He makes that months-long trek up north into east, into what's modern-day Iraq. He goes to the city of Nineveh, and it tells us this this great, grand city that would take three days to make it all the way through the city. It's huge. Lots of people, lots of buildings. Probably bigger than any city in Israel at the time. It's one of the biggest cities probably in the known world in Jonah's day. And he goes into this city, and it says he walks into basically the middle of the city, and in verse 4 we hear his sermon. It says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. We read that it's, you know, some eight words in the English. But in the, in the Hebrew, it's actually only five words. This is a five-word sermon. If I got up here and gave a five-word sermon, you guys might be happy today. Everybody could go home. But then I'd probably lose my job, right? <laughs> what kind of preacher only gives five words? We preachers like to talk, right? They don't laugh too hard at that. Okay, we preachers like to talk. So why is Jonah only giving five words? It'd be like me coming up here today and saying, you are all going to burn. Drop the mic, walk off. Okay? You are all going to burn. That's it, five words. That's what he says. Why is Jonah giving the shortest sermon in the history of the world to these people? Is it because he doesn't want to preach destruction to them? He doesn't want to preach judgment from God? Is that the reason? Something amazing happens. Because as Jonah preaches this five-word sermon, people start repenting. They start weeping. They tear off their clothes. They put ashes on, on their heads and sackcloth on. This is a sign of mourning because the sackcloth was pretty itchy on their skin. Okay, They're mourning. They're trying to repent to God. God, save us. They're crying out to this God that they the day before had never even heard of. And now they're repenting to this God. Even the king of this city comes and tells everyone that they must fast. Even the animals have to put on sackcloth. This is what he says. This is how extreme the entire nation's repentance is. This is the greatest revival in the history of revivals. From five words that Jonah preached. This is incredible. And at the very end of chapter 3, it says in verse 10, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. You know, this often happens in the Bible. God says, you're going to have judgment, you're going to face hell, and if you actually repent, it doesn't happen. It's a warning from God, right? You know, we could stop right there, and that'd be a great sermon, right? The reluctant prophet repented and led to the redemption of an entire nation. Man, that'll preach. That's good. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. It doesn't end with Jonah finally at his lowest, deepest point deciding, hey, I'll repent, I'll be obedient to God, I'll do what he says, go, and he preaches, and it's this great revival. Great, Jonah can go off into history as, yes, he was reluctant, but he finally did what God told him to do. But that's not where the story ends. There's a whole nother chapter. And I want you to see what happens in verse 1, because we actually now learn the reason for Jonah's reluctance. It says in verse 1, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong. An entire nation was going to burn, but now... They get to live. They're saved. And that word wrong actually is the same word evil in the Hebrew. This is evil, Jonah says. How could you not destroy these people? And he became angry. And in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. 
I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow, he sounds really obedient there, doesn't he? No, in fact, we see Jonah's heart very clearly as he finally explains to us the reason for his reluctance. It's not because he didn't want to be a missionary. It's not because um, he was afraid of death. It's not even because he was afraid of preaching condemnation and judgment. It's because he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. It's because his heart was filled with hate towards those people. That he would rather they go to hell. And he even says there, I would rather die than see them saved by you, God. I'd rather I die. Because Jonah sees this entire people group and he hates them. He doesn't want anything to do with them. He writes them off. He has decided that every single Ninevite doesn't deserve to live. And he knew that God in his compassion and his mercy might give mercy to that people. And it made him angry. See, I I believe that the the reason for Jonah's reluctance, which is so clear in chapter 4, yet (laughs) when we teach it to kids, it's when we've studied even as adults, we miss that reason, don't we? But it's so important for us to see this because Jonah, even here in the last chapter of this book, wants an entire people group to be wiped off the face of the planet. I don't want anything to do with them. I, I think it's really interesting because this really is one of the issues that we face today. It's basically an us versus them mentality, right? We are good, they are bad. Jonah had never been to Nineveh as far as we know. He may never have met an Assyrian, and yet he decides that entire people group doesn't deserve salvation. They don't deserve anything good. They deserve to burn. And I would rather die than see them change. He's, he's saying in us and them, and they are evil. An entire group of people. And sadly, we see this playing out way too often, even today, that entire groups of people are hated, despised, rejected because they belong to a group. Now, from our modern lens, we could look at this and say, perhaps this is racism, right? Or or maybe more specifically, it's ethnocentrism, you know, an ethnic hatred towards these people. It's a disdain for people across a different ethnicity that spoke a different language, didn't want anything to do with those people. Now, for some of us, we're like, wow, that's so extreme, Jonah. But you've got to realize the Assyrians were pretty awful in war. In fact, they were known as cruel. They were the very first people in history that had a professional army. So these are well-trained soldiers. And what they would do is they'd build up siege weapons, and they'd go and they'd attack a city for months or years on end. And they would not only use siege weaponry and, and attack people, but they would also use psychological warfare, do whatever they can to get in the heads of the enemy and, and make the people just not want to live anymore and, and surrender. And then when the people would finally surrender, they would kill all of the, the soldiers, anybody who was a fighting person, and they would stick their heads on poles. They would impale them and then they would take everybody else and they would send them away to another area in the empire this is brutal it was terrible they were really the first people to practice that type of warfare and some of the northern cities in israel probably had already been attacked by the assyrians and it was prophesied in jonah's day by another guy by the name of hosea that assyria would one day come in and wipe out all of israel And later that actually did happen. All of the northern ten tribes of Israel were wiped out by the Assyrians. So Jonah may have known that this was coming. 
So he sees this and he says, those people, they deserve to die. I hate them. I don't want anything to do with them. It's an us versus them and they deserve to die. It's a hatred based on a grouping of people. Now, in our day, that grouping may be based on race and maybe based on ethnicity. Everywhere I've traveled in the world, there are groups that hate other groups. When I was in Romania, I spoke with one young man, and he hated the Hungarian group because he was Romanian. I, I, when I was in Bolivia, there were some people that hated the indigenous people. The indigenous people hated the, the Spanish ancestry people. The, everywhere you go in the world, there's hatred towards other people groups, uh, other nations, other colors of skin. And, and it's a sad reality. But we group entire groups of people and say they are over there. They're not good. They are evil. You know, today it might not even be ethnicity or color of skin, but it might based on the association we have politically. You voted for who? You're ruining our world. You go both ways, right? (laughs) We, We hate people based on their politics. We hate people based on their religious affiliation. You you worship that God? How could you? Their denomination, even even within Christianity, people hate other denominations. There's so much hatred and dislike, and we lump people together. We call it stereotyping, right? Jonah hadn't really met any of these Assyrians. He walks one day in, gives a five-word uh, sermon, and he's, he's like, done. He's out of there. In fact, he, it says that he goes up outside the city to watch the city burn. <laughs> he's hoping that God will still destroy that city. He wants a front-row seat. We, we, we stereotype people and we say, oh, they are all alcoholics. They are all, uh, be, because, you know, they, they don't work hard. They have no work ethic. We see those, those kind of people, I, I don't want anything to do with them. They're just stuck in the past. We lump groups together. We stereotype peoples. We write them off completely. That we don't want anything to do with them, and, and if you know their name were to come across, come across our desk, and we had the opportunity to hire, no, we're not going to hire somebody from that school, <laughs> or from that region, or from that country. No way, I don't want anything to do with them. We write them off, and sometimes we even condemn entire groups of people. Sometimes because of legitimate things that have happened to us. There, there's no denying that what the Assyrians did was awful, as a nation, as an empire, that they had done evil, perhaps even to people that Jonah knew. Maybe even family members. And sometimes, because of what has happened to us in the past, we write off groups of people too. I don't want anything to do with religious leaders or religious people because of what that pastor did to me in the past. I don't want anything to do with men. I won't ever date another man again because of what that one man did to me. Or or that older person, I can't even look at them and all I can think about is my dad and he hurt me so much. Can't be around people of that age. For those young people, they have nothing to contribute. Those millennials, no work ethic. And the millennials are like, okay, boomer, right? We write off people, we condemn people, we judge people based on the group that they are affiliated with. If you've ever studied logic, you know that this is actually a logical fallacy. It's a logical fallacy. It's called uh, guilt by association. If you do that, it's illogical because you have no idea what the individual, even if they are connected to that group some way, what they think, what they're like, what's in their heart. It's a logical fallacy, and as we see in the book of Jonah, that it is unbiblical. Because God has a heart for them. God loves them. Even the worst of sinners, even the people that have done terrible things in the past, God looks at them and loves them and has compassion on them. 
And that's what Jonah knew and made him angry. Because God accepts those people. He loves those people. He wants them to be saved and to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And that's why even God then gives Jonah a pretty incredible object lesson. Because as Jonah is sitting up on the hillside, God miraculously sends this great plant to grow up in one day and cover him, give him great shade. Doesn't that sound nice right now? God sends some of those plants right now. We can use some shade, right? It sends the shade, and Jonah is so happy. It says he's overjoyed. He's happy. He's got shade now as he waits to watch the city perhaps burn. And then the next day, God sends worms to eat the plant, kill it. The wind comes scorching in. The sun is beating down. And this is modern-day Iraq, right? Okay, It's hot. Okay, And there is Jonah in the heat, and he's angry. He curses himself, and he says, I wish I was dead. At the very end of the book, verse 9 we read, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But in verse 10, God responds, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? God says, if you grow attached, right? You have grown attached to this plant in one day, that you love the plant, you rely on the plant, you, you care about the plant, and you have nothing to do with the plant. And if you care about the plant so much... How could I not care about those people in Nineveh? 120,000 souls. What God is trying to teach Jonah, and I think teach us as well, is that we see groups, but we should see individuals. We should see souls. And that's what God says, look at all these souls. I care about every single one of them. You can't write off the whole group of them. See, God has a heart of compassion and love for those even that are far away from him. In verse uh, in Ezekiel 18:23, we're told uh, that God says, "Do you think that I like to see wicked people die?" says the sovereign Lord. "Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live." And in Second Peter, in the New Testament, it says as well in verse in chapter three, verse nine, "God is being patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to change their ways and stop sinning." See, God's heart is a heart of compassion for every soul. And since God is for them, we should be as well. If God has a heart of compassion for all people, we must have a heart of compassion for all people, all groups, even the ones we hate. And and I think this is the reason why God would even send his own son, Jesus, from the same region, right? From the same region as Jonah to be a prophet. But Jesus, unlike Jonah, was completely obedient. He was not reluctant. He did God's will again and again and again, even to the point where he died. And they killed him, and they put him three days, not in the belly of a fish, but in the belly of the earth. He was dead. But it was on the third day that Jesus rose from the dead, so that to prove to the world that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, you can be forgiven no matter what you've done in the past. You repent and turn to Jesus, and he gives you forgiveness and eternal life, that you don't have to face destruction. You can be saved. See, God has good news for everyone. And the saddest part about the story of Jonah is that it ends right there. As far as we know, Jonah went to his grave unrepentant, still hating this other group. And I think the reason why the story ends like that is so that we 
would not be like that. That we would not be like Jonah, completely reluctant to do what God's will, because maybe he'll save those people I hate. But we would do the opposite, and we would not see groups of people. We would see individual souls, because there are no ordinary people. We must treat every individual with dignity and respect. David Brooks, in one of uh, his recent interviews, he's a New York Times um, journalist and author of, of several books. He said in an interview, if you see other people as souls, it's much harder to loathe groups of them. You realize we all stereotype to a degree, but you realize the wrongness of that. In any encounter, if you treat the other person as an infinite soul, you'll probably end up treating them the way you should be treating them. We need to stop seeing groups and start seeing individuals. Stop seeing people that we hate and stop seeing souls that deserve eternal life, that God loves, that we should love as well. You know, it's, it's one of the tactics that our military u- has used and most militaries use to, to completely caricaturize the enemy, right? They're just the group. We have all sorts of language for people from other groups, and I'm not going to say any of those words because they're considered racist, racial, right? They're racist slang, um, what we call the Vietnamese or the Germans or the Koreans. And these things are now considered racial slurs because in the army you train the military to, to view it not as a human being, right? You dehumanize the enemy in order to kill them and do harm to them. That's what we do when we stereotype and we make groups of people. And, and stereotype the entire group because they're all like that. But what God is telling us to do is the opposite, okay? So we need to learn not to have the tactic of war, but to have the tactics of love. And the tactics of love are not to see groups, but to see individuals. Individuals that God loves, that he created, that he created in his image, in his likeness. They are royalty and they deserve dignity and respect and love. And that we can bring a good news to them that they might receive salvation so let's learn the tactics of love learn to see every individual as the individual they are so i want to ask you which group is it that you're despising that you hate that you dislike but what's the group i I think all of us could have one group maybe it's the people that watch fox news maybe it's the people that that trust that that fake news on cnn right maybe it's the people that voted for him They're all racists and misogynists. Maybe it's the people that voted for him. How could they do that and condone all that sin? There's groups that we write off, you know, because of the badge they wear or because they're protesting. Because they're wearing a mask. I mean, we have so much things that are dividing us as a nation right now. And we need to see every single human being as made in the image of God, to love them and care for them, just like God has a heart of compassion for them that we learned from this children's story, right? not so childish anymore is it i want you to think about what that group is what's the group that you're struggling to deal with maybe some questions to ask yourself are uh would be like okay i'm fine you might say i'm fine with that group but they better not date my child (laughs) they better not marry my child if that you're saying that probably have some hatred in your heart maybe it's like "I'm, i'm fine with them but i don't want them to be my neighbor I don't want them at my dining room table. Or or it's fine if they join me for my meal, but there's no way I'm going to go be part of their culture and do their thing. If you're saying that about any culture, about any group of people that you dislike, even if it's a little bit, I think we need to repent of it. We never saw Jonah repent of the anger and hatred in his heart. 
but I think we need to do it. So what we're going to do right, right now as we finish up this service, I want you to think of that group. Search your heart. What is it? And let's repent of it because, because the reality is it's not good people and bad people. There are just human beings that we are all made in the image of God and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn uh, once said, that the, the line between good and evil goes between every human heart. There's no perfect people. There's no completely evil people. We are all people made in the image of God who need the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to repent of that. And, and what we're going to do is just take a moment. I, I just want you to bow your heads to pray. If you're watching online, do the same thing. I want you to pray for that group. Repent of it. And then I do want you to pray for them. Pray good things for blessing, for repentance perhaps, but also for salvation for that group that you are despising in your heart. Let's take a few minutes to do that. Lord God, you see our hearts. You know them. You know that we have dislike, distaste, even hatred for different groups of people. And I pray that you would lead us to repentance in that. Help us to find grace in our own hearts. Forgive us for that sin. And Lord God, give us a heart of love for them, just like you have for them, just like your son Jesus has for all people on this earth. And help us, Lord God, to go out from here, go out from watching this online, that we would be the people that love the people that are disliked that are unlike us, the, the different groups of people that maybe we've written off or, or said there's no way something good could come from that group. Lord God, help us to love them. Help us to see each individual as a human soul, just as you do, an eternal human soul, as an immortal human soul made in your image. Lord God, if you are for them, we must be as well. Help us to have that heart of compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I'm so glad that you guys have come today. Um, we will see you back here next week, uh, probably either next week or the week after. We're going to go to two service times, so watch out for that. Um, we'll, we'll send an email with, with details about that. Um, also be praying. We have a, a couple here, Kevin and Anita Gross, right here. They are headed down to Ecuador. We showed a video about them several weeks ago. Yeah, they're bringing a bunch of um, supplies to help people down there. That's like one of the only countries that's still open, and... We have an Ecuadorian in our church who's going down to help some people that have really been hurt by COVID-19 down there. Many deaths, a lot of hurting, a lot of hunger. So they're going down. Be praying for them as this week. In fact, I'm going to say one prayer for them, and then I'm going to send us all out, okay? Does that sound good? Uh, um, Lord God, I just pray for the grosses that you would protect them on their travels down to Ecuador, give them safety, protect them from coronavirus, but also that you would use them, Lord, to, to make an impact there, to, to help people who are hurting, who are hungry, who can barely get through the week. Lord God, that the supplies that they bring down because of uh, one of our community groups here in our church would, would bless those people. And, and I pray that they would experience the joy of serving you, Lord God. Um, just bless them on their travels and bless all of us as we go out of here today. Um, help us to be for them just like you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week.